Hello and welcome to the Uncap Podcast. Today we're doing a special edition to cover HB 1283, and I'm joined via Skype by senior Frederick News Post reporter Danielle E. Gaines. Hi, Danielle. How are you doing? Hi, Chris. I'm good. How are you? So right now, Danielle has been uh, taking camp up in Annapolis and covering the General Assembly for us, and she has been nice enough to spend a decent amount of time, several times, uh, explaining (laughs) the process to me and uh, what the bill means. So I thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to get her to come on and explain that to all of us. So I guess my first question, Danielle, is how did we get here? What is the process for how we got here? Sure. So uh, HB 1283 that you're talking about today, which we're all talking about today, um, is one of several brewery bills that were um, under consideration in Annapolis this legislative session. Um, It all kind of really stemmed from an idea that Diageo, the British company, is planning on opening a Guinness brewery for their Guinness Blonde Ale in Baltimore County. And um, in order to do that, the state's brewery laws would have to be loosened in order to allow Guinness to operate in the way that they wanted to. And if they were going to be loosened for Guinness, there was an idea that they should be loosened for everyone. So we started this session with, I believe, four bills that would have changed the rules for breweries in different ways. Um, As of a few weeks ago, there was... Uh, one primary measure in the Senate and one primary measure in the House that were thought to kind of be, uh, although not related at all, competing versions. And it was kind of uh, a wait and see game to see which one would get passed or gain the necessary traction to become a law by the end of this session. Um, The House obviously passed HB 1283, um, not without controversy, which I'm sure we'll get into, And um, that's the measure that today went to the Senate committee for consideration. That Senate committee, it just should just be noted, um, has Senator Gail Bates on it. She is the senator who introduced the Senate version of a brewery's bill. And it also has Senator Ron Young from Frederick County, who is a big cheerleader for Flying Dog, and has said that he'll do anything that he can to um, help him and some of the other breweries in Frederick County expand in the ways that they want to. So is, is HB 1283 currently the only bill that's left standing? So there are a few kind of key dates in Annapolis, and we have passed one of them, which is called Crossover Day. Um, Crossover Day is the day by which, you know, your rank and file members of the General Assembly um, really need to see their their bills cross over to the opposite chamber to be guaranteed a committee hearing like we had today. And, um, you know, they'll most those are the bills that are most likely to be voted out of committee so the other bills stalled in either chamber in the house and the senate and this is the only one that actually crossed over so when it was passed by the house of delegates there was a lot of discussion on the floor about the fact that this was still an imperfect bill it was amended um, at the last minute and it was still viewed to be imperfect um, but that it would hopefully be further amended in the Senate. So today in this Senate hearing is when we were kind of able to hear um, what people like, don't like about the way that the bill came out of the House and how people hope it will emerge from this Senate committee with, you know, two weeks left in the session. So 
and uh, maybe you can shed some light on if if you think that it was irregular because a lot of people and most of the people I'm talking to or hearing from are obviously very biased towards the breweries and what the breweries want. Um, so a lot of people were worried and concerned that it was a unanimous vote. Like there was in everyone was saying that they didn't like this bill, but it still ended up being passed unanimously. They, there wasn't even a single like token dissenting vote. Is that abnormal or does that happen often? Um, no, I mean, there are tons and tons and tons of bills that um, pass through um, the chambers with unanimous votes um, from the individuals who are there. And in this particular case, the House bill did come to the floor and um, Delegate Kathy Shalega, who's the minority whip, um, so she's an influential member of the Republican caucus, um, asked to have that bill special ordered because she had concerned about it. She had concerns about it. A special order just puts off debate on the measure until the next day. And then um, in the interim, um, you know, between that session and the next one, she took some time and met with Delegate Branch, who introduced the bill, and Delegate Derek Davis, who is the who is the chairman of the committee in the House that is considering this bill, and um, was able to get her questions answered and some of her concerns. And um, one of the things I heard today also um, – during the committee hearing was um, this idea that there were some things that were irregular about um, how this bill traveled through the General Assembly and, you know, uh, that it was done in a back room or this, that, or the other. But um, Delegate Branch and uh, Chairman Davis really did go through and point out, you know, this bill was introduced on February 10th. It was scheduled for a hearing on, you know, February 20th. It was voted out of the committee on March 16th before the crossover. It was heard on the floor on March 17th. It was amended on March 17th. It, you know, passed out of the House on March 18th. It got a hearing. It got sent to the Senate on March 20th and got a hearing um, set last week for today. And that's that's a really pretty regular flow for a bill in Annapolis. So I think a lot of where people thought the irregular irregularity was was like how drastically amended it was before right before crossover day um so it just seemed like that's what they thought that like there were shenanigans afoot well uh, that is how committees work um and um you know i sat i sat in a committee last night where one of the committee members used the hashtag quote hashtag amended up um, because there was a bill that was not going to get out of that committee, and it, this was a different committee altogether, but it wasn't going to get out of that committee without being amended. Um, and so in this case, it was amended. Um, in committee, it was also amended in response to concerns, and I, I can tell you a little bit about what the bill does. Um, Delegate Branch and Delegate Davis went in presenting their bill to um, you know, the Senate committee wanted to make sure that some things were clear about um, some of the issues that have come up. So, I mean, on its face, this bill increases the barrel limit in the state of Maryland. So I guess we should talk about that first. <laughs> uh, yes. Breweries are limited. Which is and- probably the, the unanimous, that's what everyone wants. Yes, everyone does want a barrel limit. And then the question is, in Maryland's system of, of beer distribution, what has to be done to um, 
to offset that barrel limit increase. And so you have basically two competing groups in this whole thing. You have the breweries themselves, and then you have um, wholesalers and retailers who are concerned that when the breweries grow, it will cut into their business. The breweries say, when our, when our business grows, your business grows. Um, so that's kind of the debate. Um, and so uh, Senator Bates's bill, who we talked about briefly, you know, her bill was pretty straightforward. It would just increase the barrel limit from 500 to 5,000. Um, the bill that passed out of the House does increase the barrel limit. Um, it increases it from 500 to a maximum of 3,000. There is a provision where you're able to sell 2,000 um, barrels on your own quite easily. Um, and then if you get to 80% of the 2,000 barrel limit, you have to apply to the comptroller's office and then you are able to buy an additional 1,000 barrels. But in order to do that, you have to first sell your beer to a wholesaler, buy it back from the wholesaler, and then you can sell it. So um, a lot of people don't agree with that. Um, I think Comptroller Francho is in particular very opposed to that. He just doesn't think it makes any sense. Um, but that's the bill as amended as far as barrel limits go. The bill also limited the retail hours of various breweries. So um, breweries would be limited to uh, closing by 9 p.m. on Sunday through Thursday, and then they would be limited to closing by 10 p.m. on Friday and Saturday. Um, this is another big area of contention. Um, but uh, the sponsors of the House bill say it would affect five breweries. The Maryland Brewers Association say it would affect nine. Um, there are currently 30 licensed class five breweries in the state of Maryland. Those are, That's the group that this bill would affect. Um, and the final thing is a lot more wonky, um, but it has to deal with contract brewing, which I know you're familiar with, Chris. Um, yes. And it, the House bill as it comes out says that you cannot contract brew. Um, Chris, why don't you explain what contract brewing is? <laughs> so contract brewing is the most of the time contract brewing is used by breweries who have reached their capacity. Uh, they're selling more beer than they can produce at their location. So instead of making the huge capital um, investments on new equipment, they'll just pay another brewery to brew their beer for them. It's their recipes. They often go there for when it's being brewed. Um, and then also another problem is once you've hit your capacity, because there's been such a boom in the craft beer industry, there's long lead times to even be able to buy equipment. Um, so breweries may even contract brew while they're waiting for new equipment to arrive. Um, and then sometimes when breweries are starting up, um, that they'll contract brew their recipes uh, before they have their own equipment. So it, it's basically just a brewery paying another brewery to brew their beer. So, so that is one of the major issues in this um, HB 1283. It, it, the way that it's written, it seems to um, make clear that contract brewing um, is not allowed. What became clear um, during the course of today's testimony is that as, as the state law is currently written, contract brewing is not 
is not even specifically addressed in the state's current law. So that creates some of this some of this issue. Um, so when you're rewriting the law, you obviously are taking things and moving them around and whatnot. Um, and it's not currently addressed in state law, and there's a question of to what degree it should be allowed or should not be allowed um, if this bill moves forward. So I can tell you um, a little bit about some of the ideas for amending the bill that came out of the committee today, if you're interested in yeah, that. Yeah, so everything we discussed, <laughs> that is how HB 1283 sits currently as it and was it came out of the house. That's true and there actually there were two more points that the um, sponsors made that they wanted to make clear. Um, one of them is that the um, the bill as it came out of the house also does allow as a sample a full pint um, which is significantly bigger than um, I think it's limited to three ounces right now in current state law. So that's kind of um, if you've been to other states and you go on a brewery tour and they give you a token at the end and you can get a free pint, that that would be allowed in, in the bill the way it emerged out of the house. And the other thing allowed in the bill as it emerged out of the house is um, that, oh, I just forgot. <laughs> um, uh, that there would be these special event permits that breweries would be allowed to get. So you'd be able to get um, 12 special event permits per year, and they could be for up to three days apiece. And during those special um, event permits, all of these regulations about, um, you know, your brewery cap, your barrel cap, um, and, and various other rules, your hours limits, would not apply during those special events um, permits. So some of the things that um, some breweries had expressed concerns about holding concerts or whatnot might be addressed, at least in part, at least 12 weekends a year um, through that house bill. It does still, you know, restrict the hours on you know your 40 other weekends of the year though so now let's discuss what were the what were the amendments that were talked about today and they were there were sure. actually competing uh, amendments correct competing amendments so obviously you know there was a lot of consternation when the, when this bill exited the house and there was even a push to um, get senate lawmakers to vote against the bill um, as it was passed out of the house at today's hearing um, representatives from the brewers association of maryland came in and said that they wanted to focus on taking the temperature down a bit um, on this debate <laughs> um now was that uh was interesting that Kevin or was um, it um, that was sean brewery owners Okay. That was Sean Malone, who's a lobbyist, um, who was representing the Brewers Association of Maryland today. So um, obviously the temperature got very, very hot on this, in part because um, the Brewers Association mobilized on this. But um, today he said well, that yeah, he wanted from, to... Uh, from some... Uh, I, I was only able to catch some testimony, but it seemed from the senators that... Um, talked the mobilization was quite successful because they all commented that they received a lot of feedback. Right. And so there were senators who were even saying, you know, uh, so the Brewers Association comes in and they said that they, um, the way that you address a bill in Maryland is that you testify unfavorably towards a bill, favorably towards a bill, or favorable with amendments towards a bill. So the Brewers Association and the individuals that they brought up with them on a panel that they presented to the committee signed up to be favorable with amendments, which to some of the senators on the committee came as a surprise um, because you know, as recently as yesterday, 
they were receiving calls from constituents and, and brewery owners and brewery lovers who wanted the bill dead. So, um, you know, what Sean Malone and Kevin Addicts representing the association said is that they had been working up until yesterday um, and late yesterday were able to kind of um, strike some compromise amendments to the House bill as it was passed out. And um, those amendments include a number of things. Um, including and they said a lot of things they believed that um, delegate branch and delegate davis you know worked in good faith on a bill that does um it does love it or hate it hb 1283 it does move breweries forward in some ways that's undeniable so um you know they said that they understood that and they believed that they were working in good faith and um have some amendments that they want to introduce um, one of the amendments would um, essentially create a grandfather clause that would allow breweries that are open now to maintain the hours that they have. Um, and that would allow breweries that opened up under one set of rules, one set of circumstances. Right now, your hours are set by the county in which you operate. Um, it would not change the game on them after they already have a business plan in place. Um, but the new breweries would be bound by these lesser hours, um, whatever they may be. Um, the other um, amendment that was proposed is um, one regarding contract brewing, which uh, the association says, you know, is a common practice, as you explained. And um, through an agreement with the wholesalers and retailers associations, there would be um, essentially an 80-20 limit on contract brewing. So if you want to open a brewery and hold yourself out as a brewery and um, operate a tap room, you need to produce fully at least 80% on your premises of your total stock. Um, I, the amendment was not available to read, so I can't tell you um, it, for the committee members either. They were eager to see it, especially when you hear that all three of these groups have kind of lined up on an issue. Um, so I can't tell you exactly how that 80-20 would work out um, if it's, you know, um, for a yearly average, um, that can make a big difference because when you're talking about kind of production spikes and whatnot, um, if you knew that you were going to have a temporary contract brewing arrangement um, and you were confident that you could stick between that 80-20, um, then you might be able to kind of move forward with business plans more quickly. Um, but those were the two primary amendments um, from the so Brewers Association. That amendment, and and I, only, I I think I I only caught part of this part of the their discussion. Did it seem like they were really focusing on Guinness? Like, is did it seem like the big no. fear is that Guinness was going to be selling their stout and not brewing it here, or was it just that's what they were focusing on in the snippet that I saw? No, but Guinness certainly plays into that. And and Guinness has their own sets of amendments that I can talk about in a second. I think this was this was primarily focused on understanding that um, if a product is taking off, um, obviously as a business owner, you should be nimble and be able to expand. But obviously in the constraints of the industry, that's not an instantaneous thing that you can do. So I think it was just kind of put in there to understand that this does happen and that there should be some flexibility. Um, it's obviously still a very limited amount of contract brewing that would be allowed. So I'm not certain if any of the breweries in the state of Maryland are already over that 20% limit or not. Oh, um, there, de there are definitely some that are way over it because they 
they only contract brew. Yeah, so I think this was an attempt to um, kind of uh, limit the definition of a brewery and still offer some flexibility to growing businesses. Um, Diageo, as you mentioned, had a representative there, and they had their own set of amendments. Um, they um, have a few issues that um, that they want worked out. Um, they did say that they would agree to a 10-hour closing time across the board, which um, is unclear what buy-in that has um, amongst kind of all brewers. Um, and um, on the contract brewing issue, when they were working with the comptroller's office with kind of their business plan and their plans to open in Maryland, um, they were under the impression that under existing law they could have imported unfinished beer, so beer base. Um, and then finished brewing it in Maryland. They also would like to import Guinness from Dublin and serve it on premises. Um, that was kind of new to me um, and, and the other testimony that I've heard about Diageo and Guinness and their plans. It's really been focused on this blonde ale and on these experimental um, beers that would be brewed with their kind of standard beer base um, to create kind of seasonal or special event um, beers that you would have to come in and eat, um, come in and eat, um, come in and drink. And um, so this was, this was quite a new uh, discussion. I don't think we really got to the bottom of whether or not the 80-20 contract brewing or kind of the rules on imports um, directly addressed the concerns that Guinness has. But certainly I know that they're working on the bill and if they see anything in the bill that doesn't jive with their um, business plan, I, we can certainly expect probably to see the bill amended. So I think that, that covers all of the amendments, correct? That's true. There is one other major differing viewpoint in all of this, and this was um, Comptroller Peter Francho, who is, you know, the chief liquor enforcer in the state of Maryland. Um, he, he said, and um, he actually was picking up on an idea that County Executive Jan Gardner shared during her testimony. She was saying that Frederick County really tries their best to support the brewery um, industry in the, st in the city of Frederick and the county of Frederick, and they want to see it grow. Um, she also was there to support the bill, but with amendments. And what she really thinks is that the bill should go forward with a barrel increase. And then all of these other issues should be referred to like a, a work group to like fully dive in and address them and get them handled and then, you know, deal with that later um, in a next year or in a future year, um, any other further amendments that need to be done. Um, that's where Comptroller Francho stands as well. Um, he was pointing to barrel limits in other states and saying, you know, the next closest state to us is 25,000, we're at 500, like, just you know, increasing to four thousand this year and then going home would be a really big achievement. And then you guys need to probably yeah, and come it, back and, and it, increase that, it again. That, that state was like somewhere in the middle of the country too, right? Like it was. I, I'm not I, certain. I um, but I, he, I he also pointed out that a number of states don't have any limit um, on the on the number of barrels that you can um, use for on-site consumption. So, 
Um, yeah, there was a, a lot of different opinions. Um, a lot of different breweries even have different opinions, but they are trying to come together to have kind of one voice on this issue. Um, if, if a bill passes, that's, that's another question as, as to whether or not this even passes, right? We are only halfway through this process. This still has to get through this Senate committee. After it gets through the Senate committee, it has to get through the Senate floor. And um, there are a lot of breweries in the state of Maryland. They're all pretty well loved by uh, their constituents and probably by their lawmakers. So if this doesn't get amended to something that, um, you know, is reasonable to the industry, um, it might not end up passing on the Senate floor. If it passes on the Senate floor, that version's gonna be different than the House version. If the House and the Senate lawmakers who are appointed as part of a conference committee, kind of the group of negotiators that come together to resolve differences in different versions of the same bill, if they can't come to a compromise that they agree on, then the bill dies. If that, that compromise version goes back to the House and the Senate floor and one side or the other doesn't agree to it, then it's dead. If it passes after that, it has to go to the governor. The governor can decide whether or not to veto it. So there's a lot, a lot of steps left in this process and there's a lot of different opinions. So it's really interesting to see um, if people don't like the way that this turns out in the next week or so, there's gonna be plenty of opportunities to try to scale it back, change it, not pass it all together this year all sorts of options <laughs> yeah what i <clears throat> one thing i um found interesting was that governor hogan actually posted on his his facebook page basically just backing uh the comptroller oh so the it, the governor and the comptroller are thick as thieves yeah they, so they see I mean, it really seems many, like many that issues. last part you said was that like if it makes it all the way to him like if it's not friendly to breweries, he probably would veto it. And obviously, that's pure speculation. Yeah, the governor's that, office but. definitely is not loose with um, information on what they plan to veto or don't plan to veto. So I don't want to speculate on that. But yeah. um, you know, certainly. But he definitely has the comptroller's back on his his opinions of. Uh, sure. That, yeah. The and, bill and, as it was presented. And, and wherever this goes, I'm sure we'll start to hear um, the opinions and the lobbying. And, you know, there was a lot of consternation over the bill at this stage um, when really it, it is essentially a blank slate. I mean, so much could be amended by the Senate uh, committee, especially because you do have the, um, you know, the senator on that committee who supports a straight barrel increase bill. So... Um, It'll be really interesting to see where it goes. There are a lot of um, members of the committee who are very vocal during the hearing um, who seem to be um, very much uh, in favor of increasing a barrel limit and making things easier for breweries to expand. But, um, you know, they also have wholesalers and retailers in their district, and that is something that one of them pointed out. Um, the whole the representative I think for the uh, retailers association there was um, Carly Ogden from Attaboy Beer and Frederick came and testified and she just talked about um, you know what a serious life decision it was for her family to open up a brewery and to invest you know their life savings in there and um, to create a business plan based on one set of rules to only to find out you know months later <laughs> that that could change fairly substantially and so it was uh, representative from the 
Retailers Association who also pointed out that, you know, their members also have, um, you know, leased their businesses, mortgaged their homes and done all of these other things uh, on their existing business plans. So um, certainly some some caution will be taken, I think, and whatever change ends up occurring. Yeah, just it, it, I, I, I understand there's two sides of everything, but that argument just seems so much weaker than like the possibility that something could happen bad to a retailer. Whereas like in Attaboy's case, it would probably destroy them. Like they built their, their business on a set of rules that existed and then turn well, them back. Would... So there is, um, you know, this actually did come up, not in the context of Attaboy, but in the context of another um, unnamed brewery who said that they would go out of business if this is passed. And the vice chair of the um, Senate, uh, of the Senate committee um, said, you know, I don't understand that. I don't understand how closing for two hours earlier would... Um, destroy your business because your business is supposed to be brewing um your business is not supposed to be operating a bar so i mean agree disagree whatever um the brewery industry is fast changing and uh, maryland and annapolis are catching up in in the ways of how that's happening um so it it is complicated yeah and certainly breweries are more complex businesses than maryland state law contemplates well yeah because like actually what he says goes completely against what they did a few years ago they made a uh, i think it's class d retail license that a brewery has to have so they gave them the permission to do it well a brewery doesn't have to have a class d license they can choose to have one and yeah, they don't have to, but if they want to, they can get one, and that allows them to sell their beer on premise. Right. What was not contemplated, obviously, with a 500-barrel limit, right? So what was not contemplated at that point in time was that um, breweries – what was intended at that point of time, I'll say just based on the testimony that I heard today – is that people did want breweries to be a destination that people would come to so that people would actually come. You could tour, you could get some samples, you could have a pint or two, and then you could be on your way, you could spend a couple of hours. Um, What was not contemplated is that you might have people coming in night after night, hanging out, making friends, treating it like your neighborhood cheers. I don't think anybody's necessarily opposed to that. It's just not what was envisioned when that change was made a few years ago. That, that, and that makes at sense. least not by some yeah. lawmakers. Not Even saying by everybody. All you would but. have to do is look at, look to the north or south and see that that exact, is exactly what happens at breweries. <laughs> Sure. Um, I think, you know, the craft, the craft brewing industry is growing exceedingly fast in all parts of uh, the country. And so in Maryland, where you do still have prohibition era liquor laws that are still being rolled back one by one year after year, there are hundreds of different liquor bills um, that come through the General Assembly every year. I think Frederick alone has like six or seven this year. So when you are rolling back little things year by year, doing something big like accommodating an entire growth industry doesn't happen without its bumps in the road. 
So let's, uh, what is the very next step that takes place? Well, the very next step is that the Senate committee just will take this bill under advisement. Um, certainly, Senate, the, some of the members indicated that they wanted to get to work. Um, they asked the Brewers Association and Diageo for exact language that they wanted to see amended into the bill. Um, so it seems like they'll be working towards kind of changing the language moving forward right away. Um, the those types of things happen during um, voting sessions of committees. Voting sessions of committees are not um, broadcast. Um, you can kind of go into the committee each morning and see a list of what bills they'll be planning on voting on. Um, it will be voted out of committee. It will come to the Senate floor. Um, there is a possibility things die in committee as well. So it just may not come out of committee. We'll just have to wait and see. It's kind of a game of wait and see at this point in time. Which I, I would, once again, pure speculation. Um, I can't. I would imagine that won't happen because it was. Um, it's a columnist for the um, it, a column called Naptown Pint. Liz Murphy had said that it, it's hard to believe that any uh, elected official wants to be the one who stops Guinness from coming to Maryland. And I believe that there's there's no scenario where Guinness opens in Maryland if some sort of bill isn't passed. Is that correct? Um, I never say never. A lot of things die in committee. Um, if something dies in committee, one thing about it is that um, uh, there is no there is no blame there's no <laughs> you don't okay. know who and what and when and why things didn't pass they just don't come out of committee gotcha so the next steps could be nothing happens and it just dies or well i guess no matter what the next step is it goes to committee they discuss it and vote it either they dies discuss there, it and maybe vote Okay, maybe vote. <laughs> some, some things okay. never even get a vote. I, I, I have a feeling that this will get a vote one way or another, that this will come out in some form or another. But, um, you know, nothing's guaranteed a vote. If, if there's so much consternation on the committee, they can't figure out a version of the bill that would satisfy people to a proper level, um, or, you know, it, nothing could come out. So let's say that doesn't happen and something does <laughs> come out. Then that goes to the Senate floor? Yes. And then the Senate votes on it. Yes. So it, I would say if something comes out of the committee, it's almost definitely going to be different in some way than what came out of the House. So when you so that will come to the Senate. If the Senate passes it, then you'll have two different versions of a bill. Then vote. Essentially, a conference committee is created, and it will have, I think, three members from the House and three members from the Senate who will come together and negotiate a final version of that bill. Once it goes to a conference committee, it comes back to the chambers, and it's for an up, an up or down vote. That's it. There's no amendments allowed anymore. It's kind of been amended. It's wound its way through. So then after a conference committee, it could come back to the chambers. They could pass it, and then it would go to the governor. Okay. Well, long I want process. To, yes, it is. A long, complicated, and confusing. <laughs> yeah. 
So I am extremely thankful that I know someone that has <laughs> such a great understanding of this that can explain it to me. So I thank you repeatedly, but I want to thank you wholeheartedly one more time. Certainly. I'm happy to help out. <laughs> the Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.